Hello, everybody. Welcome into 2022's first edition of the Sports Day Insider Podcast, brought to you by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by a full complement of Sports Day Insiders. We've got with us today Callie Kaplan. Hello, Callie. How are you? Hello, Kevin. I am great. How are you? I'm great because, you know, I don't have to get my car fixed today. And that is <laughs> that is great. I know that you're going to have to are you going to like take the whole thing down? Are you you adding headers to it or what, what are you doing to your car today? She's taking different parts, Kevin. She's just going to take the parts over there. Actually, I think I'm going to like jack up the tires and like, you know, just just kind of remake it all right before I head over to Dirk's press conference today. I, I, I love that. Listen, whoever that was that chirped in, if I haven't officially introduced you for 2022, you don't exist. So so just shut up back there in the back, whoever that was. Uh, we also have with us today David Moore. Hello, David. How are you? Kevin, I was struck how your voice cracked when you announced 2022. It must be a very emotional, emotional time for you heading into this new year. You know, every year added, David, is a big plus. Let me just say that. <laughs> every time I wake up, every morning I wake up, it's like, oh my gosh, I made it. I made it through another night, another month, another year. Here we are, 2022. And then you're confronted by our final panelist. Well, that's right. They're relegated to last in our lineup uh, because of his remarks. Uh, we have Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. How are you doing this year? Oh, good morning, Kevin. Everything's great. How are you? I'm doing great, Evan. We're going to talk a lot of baseball today. We're going to give it all the time it deserves. Yeah, it's going to give it all the time that this panelist deserves. Maybe, I don't know, 30 seconds uh, of baseball on our uh, podcast today. But that's okay. That's enough. That's enough for the Rangers in baseball, which probably won't even happen this year. Probably won't even be baseball this year, but probably yeah. not. So, so let's let's start off right at the top with the Cowboys, who had their measuring stick game on Sunday against the Cardinals, and they measured up about oh, I don't know, two three inches uh, worth <laughs> of of value in that uh, in that Cowboys bunch. What is it with this team anyway, David? Every week it's something else with this team. We just never know what you're going to get. Well, yeah, there, there certainly is an element of it's a little bit like the sirens in Greek mythology, right? Where you get lured into it's like, oh, well, this is beautiful. This really is different. This is the year they're going to get past the divisional round. And then you look up and you crash against a rock and you're drowning. Um, I, I don't believe the Cowboys are to the drowning stage yet. Oh, yes, they are. They're drowning. They're drowning. Well, and many people are because of all this emotional baggage for the years, right? Uh, you get tired of reliving this over and over and thinking, oh, well, this team looks a little more capable of going deep into play. Oh, it's, you know, it's balanced. The 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 defense is, is better than it's been in a while. It's not just an offensive uh, led fueled team as far as their fortunes and success are determined. And uh, then you look up and you go, ah, well, maybe they're not what we thought. And, you know, we've talked about really over the last month or five weeks have touched on it several times that the, the, the only true gauge, the remainder of the regular season before the postseason got underway would be their game against Arizona and uh, how they were two of the top teams in the NFC. Those are the sort of teams they're going to be in the postseason with and, and how they stacked up there was, uh, was really going to give you a read and, and determine how much confidence you should have in this team and I will point out, it wasn't just us saying this. You know, in the days leading up to that Arizona game, 
Uh, Micah Parsons came out and, and talked about it being a, a measuring stick. And uh, Dak Prescott acknowledged that, you know, hey, this is the sort of game that, that gives you confidence and, and you can declare to the rest of the league what you're about. Uh, you know, Amari Cooper talked about it, C.D. Lamb, uh, Demarcus Lawrence. Um, you know, throughout the roster, they were all acknowledging that this game was a measuring stick and it was a statement game that would let the rest of the NFC know just what they had to deal with once the postseason began. And how does Dallas respond? At home, never lead. And I would say the final three-point margin was very deceptive because Arizona controlled that game from start to finish on all three in all three phases, as the former coach Jason Garrett liked to say. Yeah, you know, I, I think, David, the thing that's the most frustrating about this Cowboys team, other than just the performance on the field, is the fact that uh, their unwillingness to own up to it, uh, you know, we, we had from everything from Dak Prescott saying, oh, no, no, I'm not in a slump. I've just had a couple of games where I haven't played well. When, when clearly he's been struggling uh, and for whatever reason that was because of the calf strain or because of what Vic Fangio, you know, decided was the problem with the team. There's, there's been an issue almost every week with that. And then after the game also, you know, in which they were, uh, I think the Cowboys now have been penalized more than any team in the league. They're second in, in, in yards penalized to the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, and they have had more holding penalties, 26, than any other team in offensive holding penalties than any other team in the league. Uh, and yet, what do they do? They complain about the officials. Oh, they're out to get us. You know, I, I think what the, the players don't get, and because they're all young guys, is that fans are, are, are sick of waiting on this team to be good. And then when it's supposed to be good, they're not owning up to the fact that, you know what, we've screwed up. Uh, yes, we've disappointed. We have not played as well as we should play from week to week. We, we ought to be better than this. I think if just a few of the star players were to say that, I think that would go a long ways toward mitigating a lot of the frustration that fans feel. Yeah, I, I agree. And one, I will say, I think the frustration fans feel uh, won't even be addressed until this team gets past the divisional round and at least makes it back to the NFC Championship game. Uh, I, I really do believe after 25 years of scar tissue being built up, emotional scar tissue, it's going to take that for fans to really go, okay, well, this team is different. Um, and, and until you get past that bar, you're just not going to have that. So uh, I do understand us just talking about this narrative before they even have a chance to play a divisional game uh, really doesn't mean much because we can talk about this and it can be taken away in the blink of an eye in the postseason. And I think that's what a lot of fans are just conditioned to expect or, or wait for. Um, and And the thing is, Arizona sends up all the red flags, right? Because you're already waiting for that to happen. And then you see, okay, well, they can beat the teams that they're not going to face in the postseason, but now they go up against a team that's going to be there at home. And to me, what underscores it even more, look at what happened by some other teams that are going to be in the NFC playoffs uh, this past weekend. Philadelphia fell behind 10-0 on the road and came back and won. Tampa Bay fell behind 14 points on the road and watched their wide receiver leave the stadium shirtless and came back and won a game. And the Los Angeles Rams were down by nine points going into the fourth quarter on the road and came back and won. All of that happened before Dallas played. And then what did Dallas do? 
They fell behind Arizona at home and never came back. So that was a glaring example of, well, really, how does this team stack up? How should we reassess uh, where they're going to be going into the NFC uh, playoffs? So, yeah, I I think all of that's in play. And uh, I I think a lot of Cowboys fans are just conditioned for something to go wrong. And the Arizona game just reinforced, yep, you're you're not that far away. Even if you have a, a four-game winning streak, uh, you can think dramatically differently about this team uh, just one week later. What, what the Arizona game, what the Arizona game reinforced was all those things that, like Kevin mentioned, as red flags. That every one of them shows up against teams with winning records. Right, this team is three and four against teams with winning records. The last time it beat a team that has a winning record is October 17th when it went to New England. Um, ten penalties, right? That that highlights the penalty issue. Um, uh, the uh, Didn't run the ball well at all. 45 yards on the ground. Dak was a leading rusher. Um, when, they're, when they've rushed for under 100 yards, they're winless. Um, or one in five, right, David? I believe five, they're yeah. one in five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, when Dak has to throw the ball a lot, obviously, um, that's when they when they've struggled uh, because I, you know, his delivery has been somewhat inconsistent. for For all the great numbers, there's been some inconsistency with with his delivery. I thought that in the pregame stuff that in, in Dak sit down with Aaron Andrews, I thought he did address some things that did make some sense. Look, they've gone through a number of issues this year, as every team has, with the injuries and the inconsistency of the offensive line and the injuries to the wide receivers and his injury and then the COVID situation. All of that is is true. And I think during the game, Troy Aikman brought up the fact that because of that, the Cowboys have had to use a lot of different players, Cedric Wilson among them, that will benefit this team potentially during the playoffs. But I think we have seen exactly what this team is when it plays good teams, it is a team that struggles to execute. It is a team that that makes that, that makes mistakes, and I think it also highlights the whole idea of something that you know clock management because the Cowboys didn't have the ability to go and challenge what seems like an obvious fumble because they were out of timeouts at that point in time. Yeah, that, that, there's there's a lot there to unpack. You're right. I I would I would actually take it back a little bit more on a winning team. People don't always look at it this way, but. You know, at the time they played New England, New England had a losing record, and I believe they were either 0-3 or 0-4 at home uh, when Dallas played them. So when I went back and looked at it, at the time that the game was played, Dallas, the last time Dallas beat a team that had a winning record when they faced them was Carolina back in week four, because Carolina was 3-0. and uh, Every other team when they played, uh, other than, you know, th- that they beat, uh, has had a, a a losing record at the time they played. So uh, now again, but that was going to happen because the Cowboys were playing an easier schedule, right? So you can't blame them for that. But that makes these these few games against the teams that you know are going to be in the postseason that are on your on your schedule all the more crucial to really build the confidence that you need to succeed in the postseason. And I think that's what we're talking about here. And, you know, going back on the officiating uh, or, or the penalties, you know, I, I think you're right. And, and Kevin, you know, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. How much do you blame on the technique of the, the coaching technique? And how much do you really say that, well, 
some of these guys in the offensive line maybe aren't the players they used to be, and that's why some of these penalties are occurring. Uh, the, the, I think it's an element of, of both there. Um, but I, I think what Mike McCarthy was doing coming out of the game, really what he's tried to do in this stretch run is I think he's he's trying to build this us-against-them mentality, which a lot of coaches do, right? Um, and, and he McCarthy has always said it's more difficult to handle success in a lot of ways than it is failure. And they've had some regular season success, but this team has had regular season success over the last 25 years. It just hadn't translated. You know, if I, last time I looked it up, I think Dallas had maybe the third or fourth best record in the NFC over the last 10 seasons, but were the only one of those teams that hadn't, of those 10 teams that hadn't gotten to an NFC championship game or to the Super Bowl. So they're just not, when they're having the good seasons, they haven't been able to capitalize. And so I think McCarthy is trying to build this, look, everyone out there doubts you. Everyone doesn't know, think you can do it mentality to kind of keep this nucleus and this focus together. But Kevin, you're exactly right. I mean, you're straddling a fine line there because it goes over to entitlement if you're complaining about losing at home and all of these penalties called against Arizona in a team where you never led in a game, you never had a lead uh, that's enabling and uh, really, you know, the culpability of the players and, and their, their role in the loss can really kind of be diminished if you hit that too hard. Right. So you have to be, you have to be very careful in calibrating that message in, in that, uh, uh, that, emotional thrust for your team as you go forward so we'll go around the panel here and we'll figure out what we think what's going to happen here it should the cowboys play the cardinals in the first round of the playoffs and we'll start with callie callie what do you think so as somebody who only follows the cowboys casually i'm not from dallas um but paid very close attention to high school football here for like two and a half years i would say it's probably not going to look pretty for the cowboys because kyler murray never loses here and especially in the playoffs or when the stakes are highest, um, he tends not to lose. So I think in his first NFL postseason, that's probably not an ideal matchup for the Cowboys to draw. Again, don't follow the Cowboys super, super closely, but knowing what I do about both sides, I'm not looking pretty. I think betting on Kyler Murray uh, at Jerry World is, is a pretty good idea. I think he gets, uh, of, of all quarterbacks that I've ever been around, uh, his uh, – persona who the guy he wants to be the quarterback he wants to be uh is really driven uh he's he's just a different cat and i and i and i think that uh that uh, uh opportunity to to show himself to prove himself is really a, a good way to bet so I, I think that's i think that's not bad evan what do you say so let me let me ask it this way my, my thing would be that this comes down to the actual the real verdict on Dan Quinn and Kellen Moore, both of whom are getting lots of attention as potential head coach candidates. Uh, you would play Arizona twice in a three-week span. Um, you would think that these guys would have, if these guys are really the real deal, they would have the ability to make some adjustments to the mistakes that the Cowboys made scheme-wise against Arizona. And it still comes down to execution and I we can talk about penalties executing the Cowboys on their own, but I, I think that it, that's what it comes down to. And I'm, I'm going to, 
I'm going to say that I have faith in these guys. I think they've done a good job all year. I think Dan Quinn has been the biggest addition for the Cowboys, um, uh, perhaps all season, you know, aside from Micah Parson, clearly. Um, and, and I'm, I'm going to say that they'll have better answers for Kyler Murray and what could be a, a an even more uh, a full Arizona team that could have James Conner back in the backfield and possibly DeAndre Hopkins at wide receiver. Yeah, Evan, I, I think that's a good point. And, and you know, the, Arizona won this game uh, over the weekend without their best running back, their best wide receiver, and their starting left tackle, uh, Humphrey, who was in uh, COVID protocol. So they should have more of their players back uh, in what appears will be a rematch here uh, next week. Um, you know, I will say, though, that I, I think you're, one thing we don't talk about a whole lot is – teams that win in a matchup and while we're talking about Dallas was never ahead I mean the final was 25-22 so they they got they caught on to some things late and they still stayed in the game defensively without any turnovers forcing any turnovers and really not you know not much pressure on Murray so you know why would Arizona change what it did but the Cowboys and their coaching staff are going to throw something at Arizona they didn't before, right? And the Cardinals don't know what's coming. So I think that does speak to coaching staff and adjustments. And we've seen this Cowboys coaching staff. I think this is the, this is the best coaching staff they've had in a while. So I, I really think their ability to respond, you will see uh, in, in this game. So if it is a rematch with Arizona, which looks like the most probable scenario, uh, I really like Dallas. Uh, and, and look, if if Dallas loses to Arizona at home twice in three weeks, they were not the team that we thought they were over these last four months. We were all fooled. Uh, and, and I'm just not willing to dismiss what we've seen week in and week out going into week 18 and saying uh, that, you know, no, we were all wrong, that this team isn't different than, than past teams. So I, I, I really do think that Dallas would beat Arizona in a rematch, which would be at AT&T Stadium. All right, that's going to wrap it up for our Cowboys uh, segment of this podcast. Wait a minute, you don't offer, you, you don't offer an opinion? No, I'm just – I'm just the I'm just the waiter. I'm, I'm no, just no, no, here. No, no. Let's I'm go. serving. I'm serving all of y'all. <laughs> no, I, I kind of was, I'm on board with with Callie on this thing. You know, here, here's the thing. I you know, Evan, you make the point about about coaching. I think that's the question about this team. Is it the coaching? Is it the execution? Is it the players? Is it the coaches? What's the problem here? You know, are they not prepared when they get on the field or not? Uh, I I feel like. That this a lot of this, and I hate to put this on Dak's shoulders, but I think it's on his shoulders. It's time for him to step up and make big plays. Uh, he has to to show he's the kind of quarterback that can get you to an NFC Championship game and a Super Bowl. It's hard to do that with a bus driver, and uh, I, I think that he is going to have to play. He's got to make plays with his feet. If the running game's not working, he's got to go. He's got to do what Kyler Murray did in that game. They didn't have a running game, so Kyler became the running game. Dak's going to have to do that uh, from here on out. We can't be worried about whether he's going to get hurt or not. He's going to have to make plays. So if the Cowboys are going to win, it's going to be on Dak's shoulders. He's going to have to make plays. I I don't see that happening right now. Uh, Maybe something happens against the Eagles and shows us that he's making a comeback. We thought that uh, the week before also uh, against a very bad Washington team, and that did not come to fruition against Arizona. So we'll see. But 
Right now I'm thinking no. All right, uh, moving on. Uh, we're going to talk now about the Mavericks. Uh, Callie, there's, it's a big week in Maverickdom. Can we call it that, Maverickdom? Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. What the, what the heck? We call it whatever <laughs> we want. This, this is our podcast. We can do whatever we want. Uh, we, we've got not only the fact that uh, Luca's back and, uh, and, and Christos Porzingis is out with COVID, uh, just the revolving door continues there uh, for the Mavs, but it's also the week that uh, that Dirk's 41 is going to be retired. Uh, that's going to happen on Wednesday night. Uh, so it's a, uh, a, a lot of cel- a celebration of the past and some trepidation about the future. How about that? Sounds good. And we got the Warriors in town on Wednesday too, so – Add that to the list of trepidation. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So where is this team right now? You know, Callie, we're just all bamboozled by a team that uh, had not met expectations. Luca had not met expectations. And and then COVID ravages the team. They sign all these guys off the streets. And all of a sudden, they're doing all the things that Jason Kidd wanted them to do all along. So are we saying that, that we should just boot all the guys that were on the roster at the start of the season and go with these new guys instead? Yeah, I think they should have kept Charlie Brown Jr., if only because his name was just excellent for Oh, Christmas my gosh. <laughs> if there'd only been a, a Linus on the team as well, that'd been great. Is there a Linus <laughs> then in the I NBA? Think, I, unfortunately, I don't think so, but I think then the Mavs would have gone like undefeated without Luka. It would have been incredible. <laughs> yes, that would have been incredible. But I think it's an interesting stretch because I think a lot of fans kind of became more positive while Luca was out and while all these guys were in and out of COVID protocols, because you saw all of a sudden that they were playing much better and they were taking Milwaukee and they were taking Utah two of the best teams in the league really close down to the wire with a bunch of guys we hadn't heard of before that week. Um, But at the same time, they weren't, winning games they went they went five and five without Luca, which was much better than they were doing at the beginning of the year but they were still losing games one after another and that's not something that like is a positive moral victory in the locker room so it's this unique dynamic right now I think but I think with that period and I guess the period still going on what it's shown us is that these concepts can work and maybe the Mavs weren't executing them to the exact way that Jason wanted necessarily but um, it showed that the potential is there and so that you hope that when Brunson and KP and, and players like that take on bigger roles, Sterling Brown, I think, is a good example of that, too. When they had to take on bigger roles with the Mavs basically just so depleted, if they can stay as comfortable as they looked and they can stay as involved as they looked, I think that when you bring back all of the regular guys and now that Luca's back, you can start to take that step forward and you can see how this team actually does have the potential we thought earlier in this season. So when you we saw what uh, Jason Kidd said early uh, a few weeks ago, and and uh, you know there was going to be some hard decision had to be made about when these guys came back uh, from COVID and uh, what they were going to do with the lineup, what they're going to do with the roster. So uh, have we really seen anything happen though? I, I don't know that we're seeing a lot different other than the fact that uh, Willie Colley Stein is not playing and hasn't played since Thanksgiving. Uh, so. Uh, w- was that just some saber rattling there and just trying to, to throw a little scare into everybody and say, hey, if you don't don't get with the program, you're going to find yourself at the end of the bench? Uh, to a degree, it might have been. I think Jason was purposely vague in how he delivered that because that could mean anything like, hey, if you know Reggie Block and these guys that are coming back don't continue to shoot well or don't play within the system, maybe you're out of the rotation or maybe you're out of the starting lineup. But at the same time, I think it probably has more to do with the the 10-day guys and deciding if – a couple of them may have been bonuses over guys that were already on the roster. And you look at 
Brandon Knight had been playing really well um, in his couple of games that he played as a replacement player before he needed a replacement player of his own when he got COVID. Um, And so that might have been a hard decision. Do you like the way that Brandon Knight plays or do you like what he brings more than maybe Trey Burke does, um, who hadn't, you know, has been kind of the fourth point guard all year? Or do you like the way that Marquise Chris plays, if only because he's playing and Willie Cauley-Stein is not at this point? Um, is, is that a tough decision where you kind of have to figure out, do we want to keep Marquise Chris after his 10 days expire and you can't sign him to another one? Or is Willie Cauley-Stein's contract at about $4 million per year? Is that more valuable to try and keep and include in a trade to make the money work or to make different deals work um, if he does come back and, and has a little bit more value on the market? And so I think – he may have said that a couple weeks ago, but I don't think that the hard decisions have necessarily come yet. Um, they're still kind of in this waiting period. And for all we know, Marquise could get another 10 day contract um, just because they still have guys in and out of COVID. David, let me ask you this. And, uh, and, and you could, uh, and Kyle, you jump in on this as well. Do you believe that the, that the Mavericks are going to have to make a, a deal before the deadline to be competitive? Well, this season's been so scrambled. I mean, we talked about last year and what the pandemic did, but it's really had a greater impact as far as as getting a feel for the team this year, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, I don't think it's imperative, but, what, I mean, they're, they're, they're so far back in the standings now. The, the thing is, there are just so many teams to go through. Um, I don't think it's imperative that they do something, but – I do think this this stretch is underscored that, look, we have a concept here and we're plugging in lesser players and having some success defensively that we weren't before. So why aren't you guys buying in? And if you don't buy in, maybe we do need to move on. I think there's kind of a, an implied you know, message under the surface that that's kind of what's going on here. So uh, I, I still think now you want to see, okay, We've gotten the defensive concepts we want in place. You've seen them them taken hold and have a level of success with inferior talent. So now that Luca's back, now that uh, Porzingis is relatively healthy once he gets out of the the COVID protocol, let's give ourselves here five six weeks and see what we have, and then that's going to take you right up to the trade deadline. So I, I think it's I think it's still to be determined in my mind. I, I would agree with David just on the. On the idea that what what can you evaluate over the last four weeks, right? I mean, yeah, the Mavericks have done a good job with some guys off the street, but they're also playing a bunch of teams that are bringing in guys off the street at the same time. The league right now is is just trying to get through this point in time. It's it, it doesn't seem to be necessarily about teams establishing dominance. It's about getting these games played for the sake of getting these games played. Callie, I don't know if you got it offhand. How many games have Doncic and, and Porzingis played together this year? Evan, funny you ask. I was doing the math yesterday. <laughs> so <laughs> they have played a total of 15 games together this season of the Mavs 37, and that'll change to 38 on Wednesday and probably 39 on Friday when they play in Houston. And so they really they have not played together hardly at all. And then I was doing the math for the time that they have been together for – two plus seasons since KP debuted in, I guess it was October, 2019. So there's been like two years and a couple of months there. They, as of yesterday have missed 
82 of 184 possible games together. That's a full season's worth of games in two and a couple of months years. Like that's crazy. <laughs> and it's, and it's not only KP Luca just missed 10 games. Luca missed seven games a couple years ago with ankle sprains, another four game chunk there, but it's, it's, they almost time it. And I know they don't do this on purpose so that as soon as one gets back, the other is out a couple years ago, Luca had an ankle sprain a week later, KP had a knee soreness for 10 games. Three weeks after that, Luca sprained his ankle again. And it really seems, again, with the Luca's out with ankle and COVID, now KP has COVID, that they just, they're never together. And so that's a major question is when can they actually develop this rapport and chemistry that we've seen glimpses of and we still think has potential. We just never have gotten to see it really in earnest for any sort of meaningful stretch. And at what point do you finally say it's not going to happen and, and then determine, you know, your, your personnel course from there? Yeah, at the end of the day, you've got if you can't get them both on the court at the same time, you really don't know what you've got because the Mavericks are only going to go as far as these two guys can carry them. Well, the, the the problem has been all along though with with KP, and obviously we, we know that he's got a lot of uh, health issues, and it's going to be an issue with him uh, going forward. But it's also you know you've already committed this huge contract to him; he's practically untradeable because of it. Uh, you have to, so they have to ride this out. And, and, and try to decide what he is or what he is going to be, uh, whether that's going to make him more tradable if he's able to play or if you believe he can fulfill the contract and be the player that you hoped he would. But I will know this, and I want us to kind of move into the, the second part of this, what we want to talk about uh, Dirk Nowitzki's retirement uh, of his jersey on Wednesday, uh, is that I sure do miss Dirk, you know? <laughs> Here was here was a guy that uh, you know whatever his shortcomings may have been defensively and 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 certainly earlier in his career when he didn't always pick up the mantle that you wanted him to uh, uh, listen he played every night he was always good he was always in shape uh, uh, he was always got along with his teammates he's a prince of a guy uh, all of these things that that Dirk was that we we knew all along and we knew that would uh, you know that would be sad when he was when he left or all the things that uh, I, I miss about the you know the Mavericks now we we, we don't always get the idea that uh, as, as great a player as Luca is he, he hasn't been in great shape always he, he apparently is in a little bit better shape now than he was to start the season uh, we haven't always been sure about the chemistry on the team and how well these guys are getting getting along together at least on the floor uh, uh, you know we just didn't have those questions with Dirk there was questions about Who's who's going to be the you know the the second star and can you attract a star with an older player like Dirk? But I'm just saying I miss Dirk. But that's the question, right, Kevin? I think Luca Luca's play in Dallas will determine whether or not 20 years from now you're still sitting in your rocking chair saying I sure do miss Dirk. You I'll know, be, I mean, I think I'll Luca's be spinning got in my grave by then, but that's okay. <laughs> I, I, I think Luca's got the ability to make you kind of say, okay, you moved on, but un, un, until until he does something and carries his team deeper, that it's always he's going to be one. Dirk is going to be one of those players in Dallas sports history that just left an indelible mark, and everybody's going to be compared to him um, that comes through here. I will just to play devil's advocate. Luca is only twenty two, so we've got a long way to go, and he has a long way to go. I know. Um, I don't think anybody's their best version of themselves professionally or even personally when they're 22. So we will see, but I agree. It'll be nice to have Dirk back in the building because he retired. And then less than a year later, we got COVID everything hit the fan. So it's a, hopefully a little bit of calm and normal for the Mavericks beat on Wednesday. 
Yeah. David, it, what do you think? To me, it's not. I mean, Dirk is, you know, he, he's in the pantheon of, of Dallas sports figures for sure. And it's not just because of his accomplishments. I, I think he truly is beloved. And, and you know, I, he's the most unaffect, unassuming, um, great player, athlete I've ever been around. I mean, he really is. His whole demeanor, he doesn't, um, there's no sense of entitlement to him at all. And it's really uncharacteristic of a player at the top of his sport, the way he was, to be as as unaffected and just like one of the guys as he was. Now, earlier in his career, I think people kind of used that against him a little bit when they didn't have success. But once he they had the success. They got to the finals twice, won it once. Uh, he, he did vault him up himself up into that next echelon. So we're, we're glad to be sitting Dirk off, uh, with this, uh, uh, retirement Jersey on, they're going to put his Jersey up in the rafters Wednesday night against the Warriors. And that'll be fun. Uh, and that takes us from our Mavs, uh, segment of this podcast to the colleges we're going to have a national championship game Monday night between Georgia and Alabama in which Georgia will come onto the field, bow down, and say, yes, Alabama, you're the best team in the nation. We don't even want to get out here again and embarrass ourselves. Isn't that what's going to happen, Evan? No. Georgia's going to take a lead and then probably blow it um, because it would be well, – They've done that before. Yes, they have. Um, listen, this is, this is the ultimate test, man. You know, I mean, this team played against Michigan, like once again, like it was the number one team in the country. Um, Stetson Bennett seemed to play like a quarterback on a mission. And I think the biggest question uh, that Georgia fans had was, could this guy lead this team to a national championship? He didn't play well against Alabama. But the thing that was different in the Alabama game in the SEC championship was that Georgia got absolutely no pressure on, on Alabama's quarterback, on Bryce Young, and, and he just destroyed them. And if they don't have an answer for that, I think you're going to see a repeat of what you saw in, in, in December. Um, and I think a real factor has got to be that Kirby Smart can't try and get too cute because I think at some level, yeah, the Nick Saban thing is in his head. Um, Saban assistants are what one in twenty-five against Saban. Kirby's zero in six, I think. Zero in five, zero in six. Um, it's going to be a story leading up to the game, and he's got to let his guys go out and make plays, and not try and outcoach Nick Saban. He's not going to outcoach Nick Saban. Yeah, I just don't know what it is about uh, uh, what gets in George's head, uh, other than the fact that. Uh, well, it's Alabama and it's Nick Saban. Well, I, I know that. It's it just crazy to me that the team that played so well all year long, the defense that played so well all year long, just fell apart against Alabama. And it's like you said, they came right back against Michigan and played like they played all year long. They looked like the best team in the nation. Uh, and especially that that defense was just tremendous. Uh, really just stuffed Michigan. So uh, I, I See, that's it, another thing, you know, we, we talk about with the, with the Cowboys too. It's – how much of it is okay? Yeah, you looked really good, but all these games, other games, really don't matter. It's what you do against Alabama, and so now suddenly, all the success you've had this season, the past season, and maybe even the season before that, 
it all comes down to, yeah, but you haven't beaten Alabama. Until you beat them, we're not going to view you in a different light. And I think I think that sort of pressure and those expectations alter performances sometimes, especially with younger players. And I think probably you, you've seen a little bit of that in, in these Georgia-Alabama matchups, especially where you look at where the talent level is on the respective teams now. Yeah, I, I, I get all of that. I, I do think that, uh, the, listen, there's a big difference between Bryce Young and Stetson Bennett. Uh, and, and, and so much you, you, you want to bet on the quarterback in these kind of situations. And, uh, and I, I just got to go with Alabama from that standpoint. I, I certainly think that Georgia's defense can rise up and, and really make something happen here, but if it's going to come down to a duel between quarterbacks, that's a, that's a no brainer right there. Bryce Young is the Heisman trophy winner for a reason. Uh, is a, a you know even even in that win over Michigan, Bennett was still making play or trying to make plays that he shouldn't try to make. He's he's basically a bus driver, and he needs he needs to try to remain that and hope that the defense can do enough against Alabama to keep them from putting him in a situation where he has to sling it out with with Bryce Young. And they can't play from Georgia cannot play from behind because their no. their method of winning is wear them down with that line use that rotation of running backs late in the game to just pound out a methodical dominant victory. And so they can't play from behind because Bennett's not, he's number one. I think he has trouble with as big as Alabama's line in as small as he is. He's got trouble seeing over the line. I think that was evident in the first meeting. And number two, he's just not, he's not the same athlete that Bryce Young is. It's that simple. So I would like to see Georgia's defense show up and play better. Listen, that's a unit that's got stars at every at every level, um, on the line in the in the linebacking core and in the secondary. Uh, they need to play better. They need to make some plays. They need to force a turnover or two. If they do that, I think Georgia can win. And I'm going to go with my heart here and and predict that uh, that they will overcome this. And having had the, uh, you know, what they didn't have in 2017 when they played in 18, they didn't play Alabama in the SEC championship game. And, and I think having had this preparation, having had it handed to them once this year, I think that may get them better prepared to play Alabama. Well, you're wrong about that, but that's all right. I, I appreciate your, uh, your feelings for your, your home state and, and, the, and the big school from your home state. Um, so I will say this, uh, the two best teams in the, Evan, in the you realize it's a podcast. No one can see that, right? No, but this is a little bouncing got... Georgia helmet across the screen. Yeah, that's, that's really good. They got the two best teams in the championship game. We talk about expanded playoffs and everybody wants that. I want that. Everybody does. But listen, the two best teams made it to the final. So, so at least we got that. It wasn't close. I mean, I, I thought no. Cincinnati played well, but Alabama demolished them. I mean, the two teams that the, the two SEC teams played, really didn't amount to a touchdown. Michigan got its touchdown late after it was down by 30 points. So, yeah, um, yeah the two best teams with the two best defenses are playing in the national championship. Game. Absolutely. All right, let's kind of veer over now and talk a little bit about the fact that uh, Caleb Williams, the outstanding freshman quarterback for Oklahoma, has entered the transfer portal. Uh, that comes on the heels of Lincoln Riley uh, taking the transfer portal from Norman to Los Angeles. Uh, to be the head coach of USC. We'll see if that's where he ends up. I don't know that that's necessarily so. But it does raise the question, and uh, what everybody has feared about uh, the portal is that uh, basically 
and Caleb says this in, in his uh, his tweet, uh, I'm kind of opening myself up here, you know, for, for recruiting. It, it comes down to who's going to make him the best deal. And when we say that, we can literally mean it, that uh, because of the NIL and uh, what you can get and what you can do here, uh, what's going to get afford him the best opportunity. He went to Oklahoma in the first place because of Lincoln Riley, because of what Lincoln had done for quarterbacks, making them into Heisman Trophy winners and, and the top picks in the draft. And uh, I don't, I don't know if he's that guy or not. He certainly looked really good. He looked like a big, strong version of Kyler Murray at, at times last year for Oklahoma or this last season. Uh, I don't know if he's going to go back to Oklahoma or not. If he doesn't, if he goes to USC, then I think that the, there'll be a legion of Oklahoma fans that will get back on the, the sooner buses and go back out to California and burn down USC uh, after, after losing their head coach and their star quarterback. But I, I mean, everybody, Kevin, you're talking about people saying that this is what they feared with players. My flip side argument would be this is exactly why the transfer portal exists, because when coaches leave programs and don't fulfill their promises to players, this now gives players an opportunity to do what is best for them. If he goes and, and, and goes back with Lincoln Riley in that case, I can't blame him because if he went to Oklahoma to play for Lincoln Riley, he went to play for Lincoln Riley, not Oklahoma. If he goes somewhere else, then it's clear that he felt like that the program at Oklahoma had simply changed. Well, I'm, I'm not uh, barking at the, that this is a, a bad deal. And this is the same thing coaches do. If coaches can leave, then players ought to be able to leave too. I think it's as simple as that. Uh, but it does represent, you know, chaos. Uh, it does represent uh, a, a fear if you're a fan Oh my gosh, what are we going to do now? I mean, that the, the feeling kind of had been at Oklahoma after they went out and hired Brent Venables, which we'll see if Brent Venables is a good hire as a head coach or not. I don't know. You know, he was a he was a fairly a pretty good defensive coordinator when he was at Oklahoma. He goes to Clemson, wins a couple of national championships there and, and uh, as a defensive coordinator. And so, I think people were were hoping that they'd have the same success with him that they had when they hired Bob Stoops who had been a defensive coordinator at Oklahoma or at Florida. And, and when they hired Lincoln Riley, who had been uh, a coordinator there at Oklahoma. Uh, and I think they think that hopefully they can do that again. Um, but you can't do that without players. And Caleb Williams was a big time player last season for Oklahoma. And it gave them some hope that they could, they could ride out the last year or so in the big 12 as the, uh, as the favorites. I think if they lose, Lincoln Riley, which they have, and if they lose Caleb Williams, I think it really opens up a question of, you know, they didn't win the the conference this year. Uh, but, uh, you know, in the championship game and the Big 12 title game was between Baylor and Oklahoma State. Uh, Baylor's losing an awful lot. I don't know that they can come back and do the same thing they did this year, which was the best season, best football season in Baylor history. Uh, I don't know if Oklahoma State can repeat or not, but it certainly does uh, put – Oklahoma behind the eight ball a little bit. And this is just kind of breaking up. I mean, really to make it broader, all of society institutions, uh, you know, are under attack and being broken up and, and you're seeing it now here. I mean, what, so what is Oklahoma been? Look at all of the quarterbacks, Heisman quarterbacks they produce. This is like, well, you go to Oklahoma because if you're a quarterback and, and you feed, you know, just like Penn State used to be linebacker you sort of thing. And it's like, this is where you go. Now suddenly you're seeing 
well, it's not really about the institution, is it? It's about the head coach, and now he's gone. And now, now you have the ability of your top players to leave in a portal. And so now you start to look at all of these programs differently, right? It's like, well, yeah, that program does that really well, but is it because it's Oklahoma or is it because Lincoln Riley and Kyler Murray and, you know, these people were in place for so long? And why should I view them as that? that's the place to go. I, I can go. I have more power than I think. And so you're just seeing it exercised now in college sports in a way you've never seen it exercised before. Yeah, no question about that. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We appreciate you tuning in. Hope that you'll tune back in with us next week uh, when we will have the results of the national championship game and when we will know a little bit more maybe about the Cowboys and whether this offense is going to be any good going into the playoffs. And, uh, and maybe even something will happen in baseball, right, Evan? Maybe, maybe Rob Manfred and, um, uh, and Tony Clark will sit down and talk, you know, I did, it's now time. I didn't expect anything would happen in December. And I think anybody who was doing some hand wringing in December about, Oh Lord, these guys aren't talking. This wasn't living in reality. Um, and I, I think that baseball needs to actually get sit down and talk now because I think it's going to have to deal with at least some degree of, okay, how do we handle Omicron early in camps and, and early in the season? Um, and we saw just how easy it was for, for baseball to navigate the first wave of the pandemic. So I think there's there's a little bit of pressure on them to get, to, to get started. And it would be nice to see them sit down and discuss some meat for a change. That's a lot of baseball talk, Kevin. Do we have to talk this much baseball next week? <laughs> that was too much for you. Yeah, we may not even get in that much next week. If nothing happens, we're not even going to get to that much. Okay? <laughs> That's going to do it for us. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>